Welcome to a new world of entertainment. The Ultimate Film Television Podcast. Featuring Mike Winkler. Alistair Engelhart. Daniel English. Jeremy Larson. And Jason Kabasi. Created by friends. All film lovers. We feature in-depth discussions and celebrity interviews. This podcast is available on all major platforms. Welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast. On this episode... Our song, Retrospective, continues. Each week, we will cover two of the eight Saw films. We will be doing in-depth discussions, so this podcast will include spoilers. This retrospective will be hosted by Mike Winkler and Jason Kabasi. And now, our discussion on Saw 3 and Saw 4. Welcome back in, listeners. The Saw retrospective continues, or as, as I will say, the game continues, Jason. Uh, yeah, uh, the game continues with arguably some of the more confusing of the t- series. Um, yeah, you know, when I started watching Saw 3 yesterday, um, I could already out of the gate see some of the differences, even from 2, especially from 1, and some of the confusion starts setting in, especially when you get to the final act of Saw 3. Yeah, um... And then you find out that Saw 4 really took place at the same time that Saw 3's events were going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a little confusing at times. Uh, it jumped and around. This is, this is where you really saw less of the character development in the story and more of just, hey, let's see what we can do for the gore factor. Well, that's what Saw 4 kind of felt like. And... Um... Three really upped the ante in the blood and gore. Uh, I will admit, though, the traps did get better, and I do like that aspect of of the future films. Um, What I don't like about three is the fact that Amanda's traps were just all 
just pretty much inescapable. Well, she was going against the rules, and that's ultimately why Jigsaw tested her, because she was willing to let people die, because ultimately she was a murderer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, uh, too. I, I have to say that um, Saw 3 wasn't nearly as uh, mediocre as I remember it. There were still some aspects of 3 that I liked. I just felt like 3 was a little too long and that it dragged on a little too much. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, this is where you started seeing the budget for the film starting to go up more. You can uh, tell. Was with this movie. But the problem is, though, that after Saw 3, the box office numbers just started declining. And not exact, not at the, you know... Mo not at the smallest of rates either. Well, no, and that and that's that happens with horror franchises typically, but I think it's because people got to a point with these movies once we get into four and five and six that maybe we were just in too familiar territory. Just felt like the same movie being made with a few different plot elements. Yeah, like Saw three or Saw three and four both had a budget of ten million. Mm-hmm. Uh, three's box office numbers were 164.9. Still great. And four dropped down by almost 30 million to 139.4. Well, that's pretty substantial. Uh, could you bring up the five and six just for the hell of it? Yeah, give me one second and I'll pull that up. Okay. Uh, Saw 5 with budget was $10.8 and the box office was one thirteen point nine. And declining. Saw 6, the budget was $11 million and the box office only did 68.2. Really? So, by the time we get to 6, it, it was no longer in the $100 million range anymore? No. Oh, I could see why uh, when Saw 7 was announced that they said it was the final chapter because they obviously yeah, the saw it was happening. the final chapter. Yeah, yeah. And now since then we've gotten Jigsaw and now we're getting Spiral. So I guess they feel like that Saw can be rejuvenated for, for today's audiences. And and I, I haven't seen it yet. I, mean, I guess but, so, but... At the same time, like I'm just, I don't hold on to hope. No, um, I'm going I think, into this one with low expectations. Yeah, I think the only thing that gives it a little bit of hope is that they brought in new blood. I'm, I'm curious to see what Chris Rock's big idea was, um, and the fact they got Sam Jackson to be in it too, I find to be very interesting. So I guess it's a little bit more intriguing than anything else. Yeah, it's interesting, but at the same time, I'm just not expecting much of anything from it. No, I'll go in with very low expectations. It'll just be me being intrigued, and maybe we'll be surprised, or maybe we'll get exactly what we expect from it. Yeah. And then uh, me and Mike actually found a website that gave a lot of different information, like uh, some of the things you might have missed, and it, like all the events that took place, like mm -hmm. what happened before, during, and after the Saw series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see how all these events just jump all over the place. When I read the timeline article and saw how much it really jumped around, I'm thinking, wow, so it wasn't just, like, in our heads that these movies jumped around too much, because this, this pretty much proves it. Yeah. Um, like, but I uh, recommend it. 
reading it. It's a good read. Yeah. Uh, let me send this to you so that way if you want to give this to the group here. Oh, yeah. I'm going to copy the link for everybody, for anybody that's watching. Um, and if you want to read the article, um, this is where it will be. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I can actually copy and paste it onto here. It's saying it's text is too long. So I will share the uh, the link at the end of the podcast. I'll put it in the comment section. And uh, if you want to read that article, it's, it's worth a good read. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into three then. Yeah. Um. We jump right into where Saw 2 left off, Detective Matthews so, being locked up. Yeah, uh, with him being left in the bathroom to die, uh, Matthews breaks his foot with a toilet lid to escape the shackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, six months later, the aftermath of a jigsaw game is discovered by uh, Officer Dana Riggs' SWAT team where the victim, Troy, had to rip chains from his body to escape a bomb. Uh Detective Allison Carey points out that the room's exit was welded shut, breaking Jigsaw's uh, modus operandi of giving his victims a chance to survive. Uh, While reviewing the videotape, Carey is abducted and awakens in a harness hooked into her ribs, but despite being able to retrieve a key from a beaker of acid and lock it, the trap inevitably kills her. That was a very, very interesting trap, and that might have actually, at this point, been one of the most disturbing traps up to this point. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, it really was a disturbing trap, but this goes to show, like, this is two traps, though, already that broke uh, the protocol of what Kramer's games were. The one thing I was a little confused by, or by what they did here, in the scene where Amanda walks in the room in front of in front of her before it rips her apart, yeah, they do a shot that obscures her face. I don't really know why the movie is hiding that it's Amanda because we already know what she's doing based on the end of Saw Two. So I don't know why the movie portrays it as a one big secret because it, it isn't. No, I don't get it either. Uh, this is this was the beginning of the questions that I had for this series Mm -hmm. and for good reason. Um, But yeah, so uh, Dr. Lynn Denlin is abducted from the hospital. She works at and brought to the bedridden John Kramer. Mm -hmm. Um, Amanda locks a collar armed with five shotgun shells around Lynn's neck that is connected to John's heart rate monitor and will detonate if she moves out of range or if John dies. Uh, Lynn is instructed by Amanda to keep him alive until another test subject has completed the game. Mm. Uh, The victim, Jeff, a grief-stricken father consumed with vengeance after the death of his son, Villain, in a drunk driving accident, must undergo a series of tests around the abandoned meatpacking plant to confront those involved in the incident. Uh, One of the things, though from that timeline that you find out is that uh, during this whole uh, sequence, you find out that uh, Kramer, I believe, had it set up where Amanda would have also died if John dies. Yeah, that's how I perceived it. uh, Just because of the fact, like, he knew that 
what Amanda was doing, really, and then, mm-hmm. you know, she really wasn't worthy of being an apprentice of his. Well, she was very unhinged, and, and even as this movie progresses, you can just see that she can't be trusted. At least, John Kramer, at least, he's level-headed, he doesn't lose his cool, um, and he has motivation and reasons for what he does. Her, you can immediately see with the first trap that no, she cannot be the next jigsaw because she cannot follow the rules, and that's his number one. That's his number one rule: follow the rules. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 let's see here, and then uh, Jeff's first test leads him to a meat locker where he finds Danica Scott, the only witness to the accident, who refused to testify in court. Uh, she is stripped naked and chained inside a metal frame, which begins spraying her with ice cold water. Uh, Jeff was able to retrieve the key after Danica persuades him to help her, but she freezes to death before he could do so. In his next, in his next test, uh, Judge Halden, who presided the court trial of the accident, is chained at the neck to the bottom of a vat where rotting pig carcasses are dropped into a grinder that slowly fill the pit. But Jeff saves him after burning away his son's memorabilia in an incinerator to retrieve a key. Uh, his third test involves Timothy Young, the driver who accidentally killed Dylan, who is strapped to a machine that will twist his limbs and head. The key is tied to the trigger of an enclosed shotgun that goes off after Jeff retrieves it, accidentally killing Halden, while the former fails to save Timothy in time when the machine brutally snaps his neck. Now, this is something that actually bothers me about this movie the most, and it's the inconsistencies with Jeff's character. Because throughout the movie, when he starts encountering the judge and, and the woman in the frozen locker and, and then the person that killed his son in the car crash, he, he fights with helping each one of them out until ultimately he tries to and he fails with two of them, saves the judge, judge gets killed, of course. But then when we get to the end of the movie and... Jigsaw gives him the ultimatum to save his wife, or his ex-wife, or whatever it is. He doesn't take it, and he kills Kramer. To me, it's like, you forgave everybody else from willing to save them, but it, when it came down to saving your wife, who obviously he loved, he just killed him and basically got her killed. Doesn't that seem a little inconsistent to you that he was willing to save those people, but then at the end he just... Not only that, killed him, which killed her, which killed Amanda. Right. So because he tried, ultimately tried to save uh, the people before him, or before the, that situation, only for, really, in the end, everyone that everyone ended up dead in his game. Yeah. Yeah. Deep down, it's like Kramer knew it was going to happen because... As we see at the beginning of Saw 4, he took the uh, the candle wax with the tape and swallowed it before it all went down. So obviously he had a pretty big gut feeling that things were going to go the way they were going to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like you said, I had my uh, issues with jo- uh, Jeff's character development mm-hmm. throughout this entire movie as well. I thought the movie had too many flashbacks as well. I think that there was too many lulls in this movie. Most of the Saw movies are about an hour and a half, hour 40. This ran an hour 53. Really? Yeah. It might have been the director's cut, but either way, it was just too long. No, I agree. 
Uh, so this is actually interesting here. So, I mean, at least this, this is where like the whole twist ending started getting a little bit too much. Yeah. Uh, so ends up turning into, you know, uh, refusing to listen to John's warnings. Amanda shoots Lynn just as Jeff arrives. The latter who is revealed to be Lynn's husband retaliates by shooting Amanda with a gun provided by John after his tests. As Amanda dies, John reveals that Lynn's test was actually hers, aware of her motives and unwilling to allow a murderer to continue his legacy. John decided to test her. He then addresses Jeff, offering to call an ambulance for Lynn if he had learned everything from his ordeal and accept one last test, either killing John or forgiving him. In response, John's, Jeff slashes John's throat with a power saw, activating Lynn's collar as the room is sealed shut. Before dying, John takes out a tape recorder to inform Jeff that his daughter Corbett was also captured. He must face another test to save her. Um, that's kind of another problem because uh, I kind of got the idea that Jeff might not have been killed when his wife when that killed her because the last shot of the movie is of her face blown apart by the shotgun shells, and the room around her doesn't look like it's destroyed around her at all. It looks, like, pretty intact. So I'm thinking that maybe Jeff survives that, especially since Jigsaw's body is completely, you know, non-blown up during, during his autopsy to start a four. Yeah, I, but you also got to keep in mind the fact that Collar was designed to go off and kill her, not everything around, not everything around it being destroyed. Right. Do you think it that... It literally was just five shotgun shells that were aimed at her neck. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Jeff ultimately went and saved his daughter and got out? I, with the inconsistencies in his character, I have no idea. That's what I'm wondering, too, because they kind of gave you the idea that the door's locked down after he did what he did, so I'm wondering if he never got out. That's yeah. maybe how it probably went down. That's what I'm thinking as well. Makes sense. I, but, uh, really, there wasn't a whole lot else that you could think of to go along with this other than what we had already discussed. Um, mm -hmm. Amanda just did everything she could to break the rules of what Kramer stood for mm -hmm. and still giving his victims a chance to survive because, you know, his philosophy of uh, how much, how willing are you to uh, live another day? Mm -hmm. I liked the message. I, I thought that worked well with Jigsaw's test of Amanda, that made a lot of sense. That's the one twist that I was like, okay, I could buy that. Um, it just seemed a little too planned out. It just seemed a little too perfect, the plan. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it was all staged and just set up a little too well. Um, but so, uh, so favorite trap in Saw 3? Uh, favorite trap in Saw 3? Probably is gonna have to go to one of the first ones we saw, and was that acid trap? Pretty good trap. Yeah, I have to agree, it's a pretty good trap. Um, I was initially gonna go with that one, but I think I'm gonna go with the um, the trap that the uh, the, the drunk driver guy was in the trap that everything was twisting the bones. Yeah, thought that was innovative. Um, and very disturbing. I I, I watched that scene again, uh, just you know before and. It still got me. I was like, oh, God, that took some imagination. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, 
but all right. So saw four. Uh, this is where I just started really not caring about this series. Um, I, I have to say that I'm only giving this movie a slight edge over three, just because the pacing is better. And I, mean, I yeah, think the pacing is better and everything. It is better than what three was, but I just I, this just really just felt more of the same as just, it was basically a glorified three. Yeah, they brought the blood factor up, the gore factor up. Um, I, I think as a whole, it's where the story started kind of like... The story started being too convenient on who was responsible and why, and it just kind of started feeling like things were being made up along the way instead of it being a full-fledged plan from the beginning. Yeah. No, I got to agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There, it really wasn't until uh, Saw 3D where I actually cared enough about it where because that ending actually kind of got me a little bit. The ending was good of Saw 3D. Yeah, it was really, really good, um, especially when it tied it all together with the, with the doc from the first film and how it all tied together. That was a nice touch. I like the yeah. fact that he was in the last movie because really, to be honest... I don't think they could have made a good final chapter without him being a part of it because they never revisit him until that movie. Yeah, oh, I know. I'm glad that they did. Mm-hmm. Very important. All right, so... Uh, going into Saw 4 here. Um, so this was uh, the first film in the franchise to not be written by Lee Whannell. Oh, note for that real quick. Lee Whannell, do you know who he is? No. He is, uh, what's the character's name from the first film? The one next to the doc? Oh, you're, I, you're asking me to remember that now? <laughs> okay, we'll call him Bathtub Trap Man. Um, that actually is Lee. That's the writer. Okay. I did okay, not know that. Okay. I recently found that out. I thought that was an interesting tidbit. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it was released by Lionsgate on October 26, 2007, and received generally negative reviews from critics. Mm -hmm. uh, despite this, the film was a box office success, grossing $139 million worldwide. Uh, I can understand, obviously, the negative reviews from the critics and all that, because, well... We had a lot of negative reviews ourselves about everything really after 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, I don't know where things started to really go wrong here. I, I I guess things would have been better if when they did Saw 1, I know it's hard to say when they did Saw 1 that it was going to be a franchise because at the time they didn't know how the movie was going to do. But yeah. I think after they knew it was such a big hit, I think when they did Saw 2, there should have been a plan and place at least through three and it just felt like after two they were just going going with emotions and that's part of the reason or part of the problem with releasing a movie every year is you're not having a time to really develop a proper script to make sure it all just comes together the right way instead of everything feeling like it's forced or for shock value no exactly uh actually kind of made me makes me wonder about something though hmm. how much of this was all shot together 
Some stuff had to be shot together. I, I thought the stuff with uh, with Matthews that was in Saw 3, I, I swear that some of that had to have been shot with, within Saw 2 because to bring him back just for that little scene, I, I doubt it. And they had the set piece right in front of him, so I think they shot all that stuff at the beginning with him cutting off his foot. I wouldn't be surprised if that was supposed to be in Saw 2 and it got cut. But I'm talking about between Saws 1 through seven through the 3D. I'm wondering how many of those movies were shot back-to-back. I think... Did did a movie come out every year until Jigsaw? Yeah. So, I would think that there might have only been maybe a four-month gap between filming each movie. So, it left three months... Maybe to write a script. So it makes me wonder how much of it was all fil- like filmed back to back again. It makes me have to wonder about that. Well, it, it, or at least very close together. Um, yeah. But it makes you wonder, too, if the scripts were being written on the fly. And, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. And that's really kind of what bugs me about this because, with again, with the release of each of these films coming out roughly around anywhere between the Halloween and Christmas time mm-hmm. that every year for seven years straight, it really makes you wonder exactly how they were able to do that. Like, how were they able to get the films out so quick? Did they have, did, did they film this back to back like that? Did they just write the shit on the fly and then film right after that? Mm-hmm. Or what was going on? Well, I think the thing that's surprising about it all is that how innovative the trap designs are from movie to movie. So I, I, I would have to think that those were being developed in bulk, the traps, because there's no way you can come up with all these ideas for traps in a very small amount of time that quickly. There had to be a lot of set design and a lot of proper things to do everything right. Um I, I wish I, I wish I knew because uh, Lee wrote the first three, and then after that it went to a different screenwriter. Which I don't even know if the screenwriters that were part of the ones after three were always a part of like the production crew or producing crew, or were they just new writers brought into the universe? I'd have to look into that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I have to agree with you. I, I I almost feel like that these were written on the fly. Or they just were never proofed. They were just one draft, and that's what they shot. Yeah, that's what I've really got to wonder, too. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, going into this, uh, we find the like beginning right away. We find the microcassette uh, found in Kramer's stomach during his autopsy, which contains a posthumous message from John that informs Hoffman that he will be tested. Elsewhere, two men, one with his eyes sewn shut and the other with his mouth shown, sewn shut, <laughs> Awaken in a mausoleum, chained at the neck to a winch that begins reeling them in. The muted man is forced to kill the blinded man to get a key from his collar and free himself. So that was a nice little innovative way, I guess, to go through this. I like I liked the intro. I thought the intro was pretty good. Um, and this it really got us our first taste of Hoffman, I believe. It did. Yeah, it did. Which he ended up being. Uh, Jigsaw's next apprentice, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then there's that whole explanation that I don't know if I should sit here and say that it really works. Uh, 
What do you think? I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. What do you have to say? Well, he ends up being, I think, in three movies, correct? Four, five, and six? Uh, Hoffman, he was in four, five, six, and seven. Oh, he was in seven, too. You're right. So, yeah, I mean... because he had the pivotal role, like, throughout uh, pretty much all of seven. Now, I don't remember, because I'm rewatching these now, but I don't really remember. Do they explain how Hoffman got involved with Kramer? Uh, give me one second here. I want to say it has something to do with Kramer's wife. I could be wrong, but uh, I... so going through that link that um, I sent you, Mike, mm -hmm. uh, Hoffman and Officer Rig investigate a violent teacher who had been abusing his daughter, but the man gets off thanks to his lawyer Art Blank. Uh, mm -hmm. Hoffman's sister is Hoffman's sister is murdered by her boyfriend Seth, and he now suffers from depression. Mm -hmm. uh, Seth is sentenced to life imprisonment. Uh, Officer Gibson is attacked by a formal me former mental patient, and Hoffman shoots the offender despite him dropping his weapon. Gibson mm -hmm. reports Hoffman, but Hoffman is promoted. Uh, Gibson convicts three of Hoffman's colleagues, resulting in Hoffman swearing vengeance. So, essentially, it was at this point that you really uh, find out where uh, Hoffman's uh, and Kramer's, I guess... Um, stories both intertwined like that's how Kramer mm -hmm. was able to pick up on Hoffman okay so they 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 do they do break it down though they do make sense of it then yeah the, the thing about that like that went that's spanning the three different uh movies though saw four saw five and saw seven were when we got got the pieces of that all put together See, I don't remember how well it's told or if it makes a lot of sense because I'll, I'll know when I revisit them. But, um, I mean, I, I guess Hoffman, I, I guess him being that works. I mean, I, I got a bad... This, this is the thing that pissed me off about this, this series, though, was why they decided to go span all these movies to get just little piece of information about each character, about all the integral characters that were uh, part of the series from there, here on out. Right. Why it took so long for us to actually get the backstory, really, on these characters and their involvement with Kramer in the end. Well, that's part of the problem with this being a eight-movie series, that the, the, the series really took its time. And I don't want to fault it for that so much, because, I mean, it does do some things pretty well with characters. I, I, I liked that we throughout each of the first four films, at least, we see little bits and pieces of these characters leading into it. Like, for instance, we see Hoffman in one scene in Saw 3 when uh, they go to the crime scene at the yeah. very beginning of Saw 3, and they never see him again. And then all of a sudden, he's, you know, a prominent character going forward. Um, same yeah, with the other... Yeah, you're not yeah. wrong there, Alistair. It is all about this. Oh, all about the, uh, the moolah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Alistair says it's all about the money. Well, yeah. This franchise did so well on a very low budget that it just, it made it so easy to make sequels. Because when you're making movies for one to five to six to seven million, and you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, I can't say I blame them for making sequels. I can see, I can see yeah, I can see why they made the sequels uh, as much as they did. Mm -hmm. But when you start seeing that box office numbers slowly dwindle down, and all of a sudden you see the decline from... Four to five, 
and then five to six. Why would you bother making any more? And the Do only you... reason that Saw Seven would have made uh, Saw 3D would have made any bit more than any of the other ones right. was because of the fact the hijack prices um, in theaters, and because it was 3D, so they got charged higher. Do you feel like that? Um, that in Saw Four, when we get Hoffman's reveal. Don't you almost feel like that after four, we could have gotten the final chapter, that movie, and just ignored five and six and got to that point because we had enough story at that point to tell the final chapter? Yeah, I think we could have gotten there uh, after four. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, I guess the writers felt like dragging it out as much as they could because then again, yeah. almighty dollar is what matters, so... Well, and then, you know, here we are again with, with Spiral coming out. You know, it's it's one of those things where I feel like they're just trying to see how much more money they can suck out of everybody. Um, mm. But, you know, we could be wrong. You know, with, with, with who they bring to the table for the for the new movie, maybe it's going to bring something new to the Saw universe we haven't seen. So maybe it'll benefit it. Yeah. Uh, but this whole, th this whole sequence here throughout this movie really started getting a little more confusing. Mm. Yeah, as this movie went along, it got started getting really confusing, and especially since we get Detective Matthews back out of nowhere. Weren't we told that he was killed by Amanda? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, we were told that he was killed by Amanda. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that one of the reasons why Kramer was disappointed in her? Now all of a sudden it looks as though that never happened, so aren't we kind of retconning what we said in 3 a little bit? Yeah. And uh, again, I just don't know what to think of it. Um, so I'm trying to remember the main the main story on this was uh, Stram. Was there two writers? What's that? There were two writers, right? No, I'm talking about the main the main, I guess, protagonist, if you want to call it that. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, and he, he also appeared in one scene in three as well. Yeah, I know. So they that's really, why... They really did a weird job with this. Uh, it, like, explaining how four happened at the same time as three did. Mm-hmm. I almost so feel like was, three and four were shot together. I feel like that they were. Yeah, uh, three and four, or four, I... God, I don't even know what the hell I'm saying because this movie is actually making me tongue-tied right now. But the big, the big reveal that three happened, four happened at the same time as three was, uh, I want to say it was Strom arrives after Rig, but ends up mm -hmm. following uh, Denlin, who's trying to pass his own game. Uh, yeah. He finds him in a sick room with the corpses of John, Amanda, and his wife, Lynn, and kills Jeff in self-defense. Uh, meanwhile, Art pulls out a device that will free him, Eric, and Hoffman once the timer expires. If used before then, a pair of pincers will sever his spine. Uh, realizing Riggs', is, Riggs game is for him to wait until they're able to save themselves, Eric shoots him to prevent from entering the room too early, but Rig opens the door nonetheless, which causes two ice blocks to crush Eric's head. Uh, Rig shoots and kills Art, believing he is responsible for the game, only to learn from Art's tape recorder 
that his obsession with saving everyone resulted in Eric's death, who was meant to save himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoffman, the actual jigsaw accomplice, uh, who was in no real danger, then releases himself, leaves Riggs to bleed to death, and seals Strom inside the sick room. Uh, the film ends with Hoffman at the morgue, thus revealing that John's autopsy took place after the events of the film. Yeah, um, again, like you, like you said before, the fact that basically Saw 4 feels like it's Saw 3 and a half. Um, I, I almost feel like instead of showing all the flashbacks that they wasted time with in Saw 3, we, we could have got all this, or at least most of it, in Saw 3, and that could have just been one movie, and it might have made a better movie because yeah. of it. <sighs> yeah, that, that's a little frustrating, and I said, that's a, that was where I. This is where I really just let. I don't know how much more I can follow or care about the Saw franchise. Well, wait till we get into five and six because that's where things start really going in a very odd and very twisted direction, and I don't mean that in a good horror way. Yeah. So I again, this just there's not much else to really go over with this, other than it was just. Another disappointing entry for the Saw franchise. More, more of the same. And I gotta say too, I think the one thing that I that I'm getting a little sick of, especially four movies in now, is that every time somebody gets grabbed for a trap, it's always in a dark apartment. They're acting like there's such creepy music, and the pig face comes out. It's done in the exact same way in the first four movies. Oh, I know. Come up with a new way. Be a little more innovative, and and. You know it's not going to happen. No, it's been there and done that territory, and lack of imagination as far as I'm concerned, as far as that part's concerned. Yeah. So favorite trap in Saw 4? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, there were good traps let, in this movie. I'll let you go first on this. Um, I really like the trap at the beginning. It's it's, it's basic, it's simple, you know, with the, with the eyes being sewn and the mouth being sewn. I... I, I I don't think it's my favorite, but it's up there. Is, um, I like the ice block trap. I, I, I kind of do. Uh, there was a lot of tension in the way that, that scene was done, and I didn't think that Matthews, you know, would have gotten killed that way, but that's how he goes. I, I got to agree with you. The ice block trap was probably my favorite one in this. Mm-hmm. A lot of tension. Yeah. Pretty well, pretty well done. That's why I said that the, the one thing that these future movies do – the traps are very well done, and there's a lot of thought put into those. But I think that's the movie's problem as well, is that there was more thought put into the traps than making the story feel sane and coherent. Which, again, just pissed me off so much, because there was so much potential in the beginning of this franchise to actually tell a really good story, while also being a horror flick. Mm-hmm. And well, they- it, just, it just went to shit. The one thing I know about Spiral, the only thing that I've, I read an article um, with the with the director, he also did uh, what, two and three and four. He he said that um, even though the movie takes place in the same universe as the previous eight films, um, he said they really wanted to bring something new and innovative and, and different to the table for the Saw universe, and that he said that fans will be pleasantly surprised as to what we've done differently because it's nothing we've done before and it's not the same old Saw. So that's encouraging. I, it's encouraging. Am I going to go into it with 
any higher of an expectation for it to be good? No. 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 Because of the letdowns from this entire franchise. No. Just go, go into it with low expectations, and maybe we'll get something close to the first one again. Who knows? Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see. Um, but other than that, I don't really have much of anything else to add to this. No. So uh, I guess what we'll do is we're up to four with the halfway point. Uh, where do you rank the movies now, now that we're up to four? Uh, three's at the bottom. Uh, saw 3.5 just above it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go Saw 2, then Saw 1 at the top. Yeah, I think I pretty much agree with that. Saw 3 definitely is at the bottom so far, just because of its pacing issues. Uh... Saw three and a half slash four. Um, good traps, but at the same time, taking place during three makes it confusing. And then uh, saw one and then saw two. Or saw two, then saw one. Saw one at the top, yeah. So um, we've re finally reached the halfway point of the Saw franchise, and I hate to say that we're not reaching um, the, the top of the hill here. We've gone through the peaks of the franchise here in the first four, so now from here on out, it... Sadly, goes down the mountain. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, with that, uh, next week we'll be coming back to you with Saw 5 and Saw 6 in our retrospective. Uh, after that, we'll be covering Saw 3D and then Jigsaw. Yep, and then after we're done with our Saw retrospective, um, we talked about it on last night's show, uh, either The Matrix or Jurassic Park. I think we're probably going to do probably The Matrix first. I think we're all kind of on the same page with that, um, especially since we were supposed to do that back in November, but we got sidetracked with other stuff. So I would say The Matrix probably is going to be our next retrospective after Saw. Which I'm greatly looking forward to. I'm sure that a lot of you out there are looking forward to it as well. So... Mm -hmm. uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap on part two of our Saw Retrospective. Tune in next week for part three. Uh, and with this, that's a wrap. Cut and print. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. And coming next week, our Saw Retrospective continues with our look at Saw 5 and Saw 6. Then, coming soon, our entire crew will begin the Matrix Retrospective. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcast, go to lcamoviereviews.com and listen to our podcast on all major platforms. Thank you for listening to the Lights, Camera, Action Entertainment Reviews Podcast.